Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, and joining us will be Dr. Brendan Radican. In fact, this is being recorded only two days after he finally graduated from medical school after his four-year sojourn through training. And this will be the fourth annual episode updating the life of a medical student. And if you've followed his story, we get to find out what specialty is he has chosen, why, and where he will continue his training. So a key part of the fourth year of medical school, Andrew, is the match. What should our listeners know about the match? That's right. You know, we it's interesting for people who might be on the outside of medical education. If you haven't heard of it before, it's something that is I want to say maybe one of the pivotal moments in your training, because that's where you officially get accepted into residency. But it's a lot more intricate, I'd say, and complicated than a traditional application process. I'm not sure if it's better or not, but it's definitely tricky. Uh, because and, and something interesting here is everyone who graduates from medical school is not guaranteed training in a residency, are they? That's right. And that's that is a major issue I think that we have kind of looming in the in the wings because we do have this physician shortage throughout our country and people are trying to figure out how to make it up whereas we do have a lot of people who actually graduate medical school and they finish but then they don't have a place to go and complete training in residency. So the match is a very big deal and it's it's an exciting time because you figure out where you're going to spend the next 3 to 8 years of your life depending on how much training you're <laughs> you're doing after med school but it's it's nerve-wracking because it's not exactly up to you so the whole way that the match works is that during the fourth year and I suspect Brendan will kind of update us on his his progress through this you're you're eyeing out programs and programs are eyeing eyeing up you kind of sizing you up to see if you'd be the right fit and a lot of times people would do an audition rotation where if you really know that I want to do, you know, pediatric ER medicine in Butte, Montana, I'm going to, I don't know if there's a program out there, but if I, if I really Probably. want that, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hang around as much as I can so that they like me and they want me on their team. And so you're going through the fourth year doing all these uh, interview rotations and you have the official interviews, but then you secretly put a list of your top choices, you know, your top five, 10, 20, depending how competitive. The Secretly, surreptitiously in the it dark. Is. It is secret. <laughs> it's a very secret. How secret is it, Andrew? Well, <laughs> I'd say it's pretty secret because on the other side of the thing, it seems like a weird dating game. Uh, the programs actually put a secret list as well. And there's some big computer, I don't know where, that matches everybody up to figure out what would be kind of the best fit for everyone. And so you might get your first choice, you might get your 23rd choice, and some people might even rank multiple specialties. I've heard some people doing that. So you really don't know till wow. match day what you're doing, where you're going, and then after that, you're kind of locked in. So I that's think a this big year part match day was uh, St. Patrick's Day, wasn't it? Friday oh. the 17th of March. Oh, I didn't know that. It's always It's always that kind of third week of March, I believe. And then you know, the match for the majority of people, it's all kind of one big day and you have a party at the end of it. But one of the things we wanted to highlight also was there's this difficulty where this year, for example, they set the record with 48,000 people registered to match and 42,000 who submitted the list, the secret list. Um, but out of those 42,000, there was only 38,000 potential spots. So these are folks that went to four years of medical school uh, presumably passed everything. They're ready to go to residency. They've got probably a quarter of a million dollars in debt, at least at this point. Mm. And there's going to be, Tom, you can help me with my math here. Is that maybe four to 8,000 people who are going to be out in the cold because there's not enough training spots. Um, so that's but then you said there's this supplemental program. How does that work? That's right. So if the computer cannot adequately match up people on that first day, there might be some programs that are uh, not able to fill all their slots, and there might be some people that don't get chosen by anybody on their list. Maybe they only list two or three, and they didn't make it into those two or three. There's a whole week that's a crazy scramble where all of the empty slots and all of the empty residents uh, try and match up, and another potentially uh, 1,900, I believe, slots are filled that way. 
But even in spite of that, then you've got this whole leftover group of folks. And it's interesting. I, I did want to highlight one bill that's kind of being debated in Congress right now. It's actually got bipartisan support called the Resident Physician Shortage Act of 2021. Uh, oh. And I just point people to that to kind of check it out. But basically, they want to increase the number of residency spots. So you have all these people who actually finished medical school. They have a place to complete their training and hopefully get out into the workforce and help the the shortage. So it's a crazy time. I'll, I'll be interested to, to hear Brandon's side of things. But when we talk about the match, it's it's a pretty big deal. It takes a lot of stress and it's a pinnacle, I'd say, in medical school. So you've got some good numbers here. So that leaves at least 2,200 American-born and trained MDs and DOs who didn't match, another 2,000-plus U.S.-born who trained outside the U.S., and then there were almost 6,000 non-U.S. citizens who applied for training in the country. So that's another 10,000 people. Yeah. and People you know, who want to be doctors in the U.S. who can't be right now. That's right. And I mean, you, we see all sorts of things, uh, intricate things people are trying to do to, you know, pay back some of your student loans if you go work here or you do so mm -hmm. many years in this area and there's there's benefits associated. We're trying all these things to overcome this shortage of, of healthcare professionals. But you've got all these people who finish medical school with no training. It seems like there's got to be some some opportunity or some kind of improvement. And basically what it comes down to is that medical residencies, uh, that part of training actually costs a lot of money and Medicare yes. pays for it. And the last time that the funding was increased was 1997. So that was something oh. <laughs> for budgetary reasons, they tried to put a lid on, you know, thinking that, that training, you know, like a lot of things just gets more expensive every year. But unfortunately by capping that, and at the same time, we've got all the medical schools accept, accepting more and more students. Yes. Then we create all these people with huge amounts of debt and education ticking away that can't really practice in the area that he studied. And so hopefully something can be done about that. How many programs did you rank? You know, it, it was interesting. So I, th I think my, my story is probably different than a lot of people because family medicine is not as competitive as some other specialties. So I ended up ranking three. I knew, I knew kind of a couple of places I wanted to go. And uh, I had kind of good feedback from them that I could come if I wanted to. And so I, I lucked out, but I know it's very dependent on specialty too, because people who want to do say brain surgery, uh, you might rank every program and pray that somebody yes. lets you in because it's so competitive. So it has a lot to do with the, the nature of the place you're trying to get to. Well, let's get on to our medical trivia question of the day so that you can find out what's happened to Brendan. Category. Medical students choosing a specialty. So there's this organization called the Association of American Medical College. That's who, there's one application for medical school through them. Well, they survey students the summer before medical school and ask them, what specialty do you want to do? Then they go back four years later, or a little less than four, and find out what did they try to match in. So the question relates to what's the difference or similarities between their list before medical school, of what they want to go into, and what they finally decide to go into. So the question is simply this, what percentage of medical students enter a residency that is the specialty they mentioned that they wanted to go into before entering medical school? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm glad I, I ran into this data. And then, so the, the secondary parts of it, if you want to, is what specialty had the highest consistency? In other words, if a hundred hundred students said they wanted to go into this specialty before medical school, the highest number out of 100 did actually go into that specialty. Which one was it? You're going to have to wait till the end of the show like usual. We'll be back here on Dr. Doctor with our guest, Brendan Radikin, talking about year four of medical school. Welcome back to our guest interview with Dr. Brendan Radikin, DO, Doctor of Osteopathy. After three interviews where he was a medical student year one, two, and three, he's finally got the plum at the end of the rainbow. Plum, golden, whatever. Whatever is at the end of the rainbow. Two days before the interview, where May are your 9th, rainbows, Tom? I don't know. What, where, where, you get where are my rainbows? I'm even Irish. My goodness, I should know about this. So Brendan is a former Army artillery officer who went to college in an ROTC scholarship. Mm -hmm. He then went to uh, medical school 
at the Marion University College of Osteopathic Medicine in Indianapolis, Indiana. And there with him, supporting him, uh, is his wife and now four children, aged four months to six years. I believe along with him, his wife should have an honorary doctorate. But Brendan Radiken, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Yeah, it's so good to see you both again. Thanks for having me again. Brendan, welcome back. Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> yeah. Four years. Never thought I I'd know, say I was, it, but I did. I was so happy at graduation. I just felt like, man, thank goodness we, we survived. Yes. Tell, tell us, you know, we, we had just been talking in the first segment here about the match day as being yeah. like a pinnacle of medical school. Right. How'd you fare? Tell us how it went. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, I really like the way I fared. Some Sometimes it can feel... For medical students, you know, the computer algorithm can kind of feel like this, you know, pantheonic deity, you know, that just decides all of our (laughs) fates. But but all things told, I I was very happy with the match. I got uh, two of my top choices. Um, We can talk a little bit about how that works, but all things considered, very happy. Yeah. So what uh, what specialty did you finally decide to, to match into. Yeah. So that was a roller coaster ride, right? Trying to figure out what specialty to choose and filled with much angst and discernment. Uh, radiology, I ended up being the career I wanted to pursue. So, right. in a, and that's what you talked about last year. Yeah. And since the interview last year, had that shifted at all? Or were you pretty set from third year? I, I was pretty set year. at the right at that cusp, that third, fourth year decision point. I was very set on radiology. And um, as as fourth year progressed, that that only was affirmed for me that I was choosing. And how was it affirmed? How do you know it fits you and that you belong there? Uh, That's it's hard to answer. There's so many factors. I think um, Mm -hmm. maybe the first factor is just the experience of the specialty. You know, um, actually doing the rotation yourself, talking to that physician. Also having friends and mentors that know you and know the specialty because, uh, you know, med students, we can't do everything, right? You can't do a month in every specialty. There's, there's not no. time. So, and then I really, really enjoyed, especially your work, Dr. McGovern, trying to figure out, you know, temperaments, personality. Are there any trends or indicators that we can look for, for certain specialties? Right. Do I have a surgical personality? as it were. Uh, I don't, by the way, I don't. Um, <laughs> we can remove it if you do. <laughs> but I think last, the last thing is really diving in. I mean, there's, I, for example, I didn't do a urology rotation, you know, would I have liked urology? Maybe <laughs> ophthalmology. I can't, couldn't try that either. So, you know, at some point you just have to pick and choose and dive in. And I'm really happy with how it worked out for me. Man, that is great. Tell, tell us, you know, one of the things that traditionally people would do is they'd always do these away rotations, you know, where you try yeah. and get to meet the places you're going. Did right. you get to interview the places where you matched into? Uh, so I didn't get to. So I matched for radiology at the University of Kentucky. Uh, go okay. blue, I think I say, right? Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, uh, <laughs> but I didn't cats, get, I believe go wildcats i didn't get to i didn't get to uh rotate there because of covid so you know the american association medical colleges etc etc um they all kind of decided let's limit away student away rotations unless they need it well that's less of a big deal for radiology folks you know audition rotations aren't essential for us but for the orthopedic surgery folks for example you don't interview really unless you get an audition rotation so that, that was a real challenge for my friends trying to do orthopedic surgery, trying to get rotation slots in this weird COVID time. But to the interview, to the interview point, no, you have virtual interviews. So, you know, I had to get a flavor for a program and rank them um, based on how I felt in a virtual interview. You can imagine how kind of challenging that might be. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, for everybody, yeah. for me and for the program. Right. Yeah. Man. So w- what is something that that experientially attracts you to radiology? Are you attracted to the reading, to being the expert for the other doctors who are experts or doing things interventionally? Yeah. You know, where is that right now? That that juicy part. (laughs) (laughs) You never fall asleep on accident. I would really do bad. I love family doctors (laughs) making fun of radiologists. You know, that's, 
I think it's the radiology, the personality of radiologists. You know, they're just so flourishing and vibrant. That's what drew me to them. No. <laughs> where, where is this again? <laughs> I love radiology because I love diagnostics. Um, I, I, I like therapeutics. I like patient interactions. But the most kind of interesting, compelling thing for me in medicine is diagnostic imaging. Uh, and I mean, in radiology, you can both speak to this. Sometimes in medicine, there is not just medicine involved, right? Physicians feel like a ton of their day is administrative or even like, even when talking to a patient, a lot of it isn't medicine. In radiology though, there's the percentage of medicine in the, in the work day is just so high, you know, pretty much the entire wow. thing is medical. Um, and I, I really enjoy that. Lifestyle was also very important for me. I want to have a ton of kids. We want to homeschool, et cetera, et cetera. And radiologists aren't known for a break in their backs, uh, I, I guess I'll say. So it's one of the more <laughs> pleasant lifestyle specialties. Uh, but so those two things. Yeah. Radiologists have a lot of possibilities. Am I, am I right? Where you mm -hmm. can, you know, sometimes work remotely, work different hours, lots of mm -hmm. different opportunities where so many specialties are tied into the the, you know, six to, to nine, the long way, or, you know, working on the weekends and that type of thing in person. So yeah, that's, that's very compelling. That's really good. You were asking yeah. about this, about procedures and stuff. There's this big difference yeah. in radiology between diagnostics and interventional side. I can yes. still choose. I'm still kind of before I have to make right. a selection in that right. junction. Um, but that attracts me too. I mean, I think that kind of biopsying and then even the more invasive procedures we do, we, me and my colleagues in, uh, intervention, in radiology. Uh, <laughs> Royal we. Yeah. yeah. The typical we. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, options, lots of different things attract me about it. Yeah. Do you have any idea if a higher percentage of people matched at their home institutions than in a normal year? It feels like that. I don't know the data, but at UK, for example, I think it was, at least in my radiology year, I think it was uh, five out of eight. Were all or were UK oh. people? At, oh wow! At IU, it was it, for for and this is just radiology. It was a higher incidence than normal for IU grads, I think. Um, it, so just in my just anecdotally, it feels like home institutions where you know the student rotated physically. Sure. It seems like that was more important both to the student and to the program was physically being together. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I'd be really interested in how in the data for that. Yeah. I don't know and, if that's been published yet. Yeah, I don't either. You know, Brendan, one of the things with radiology too is you guys have the split training where you do the post grad year first, and then you dive into radiology specific mm -hmm. training. Right? Mm -hmm. How many years is the radiology specific training? So there are some of us some specialties that require a hospital year before doing the actual specialty or the categorical specialty, as it were, radiology, anesthesia, derm, radiation oncology, et cetera. So yeah, I am doing a required, the required hospital year um, before attending my actual radiology training. And that's because I think the, the accrediting bodies, those in charge of kind of what residents should learn have, have, I think noticed that we, we'd be a better radiologist if we have a solid intern yes. year. Um, we know what the you know ordering physician is looking for in a study if we've been that ordering physician ourselves. Um, so that's the rationale I think behind radiologists doing a, a hospital year before starting their training. I think that was a great idea. I had to do that in dermatology in my. Right. Um, you know, the scope of my understanding of medicine was so improved after doing that. It was a brutal year, but uh, my understanding of things was so superior than what it would have been if I had gone straight into dermatology. Mm -hmm. What's the structure of your uh, internship year? Mine was called a transitional year. I don't know what they're calling it for you guys now. There are different ways to accomplish that required kind of hospital year. We can do a transitional year, which is what I'm doing. We can do a preliminary medicine year, it's called, which is similar, but usually more kind of traditional hospital internal medicine type of year. And you can right. also do a, a preliminary surgery year. 
Uh, a lot of ah. maybe the more interventional radiology types or uh, maybe the surgery, uh, you know, wannabes in the future would want to do like a preliminary <laughs> surgery year. Um, but I'm doing a transitional year. It looks, it's a lot of hospital medicine, you know, just traditional wards, cardiology, you know, GI, that sort of thing. So it's really just a year of medicine uh, before I start learning imaging. Yeah. Oh, so you don't have any surgical rotations in there? No, I, I don't. Not at mine. Um, I, I was hoping to have one, actually. Not that I love doing surgery particularly, but I mean, there's a lot of imaging in surgery. So I, I was hoping to get maybe some, but no, not at this yeah. particular program. Cause, yeah, because in my program, so it was 13 four-week mm-hmm. rotations. Is that what yours mm-hmm. is like? Same. Mm-hmm. And, and we had three surgical months, one of orthopedics, general mm-hmm. surgery clinic, general surgery uh, inpatient. And that really rounded, and then peds, internal mm-hmm. medicine, research, um, and then a couple electives. Do you get electives in yours? We do. Yeah, we do get electives. Good. Um, so I'll be doing a neurology, PM&R, and then I have a research month also, which um, oh, very I'm, good. I'm happy. Well, I'm glad it. you're getting the, the neuro PM&R. That's that's a good breadth of. So yeah, yeah lots of fun. Yeah. So I back to the graduation day. Yeah. What were your emotions like on that day? And how did it fare with what you thought they were going to be when you finally graduated? <laughs> Truthfully, I was, it's really underwhelming graduating. You know, like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, match day is, that's the climax of med school. You know, after that, after you match, graduation is more like a diploma handing out, which, you know, we don't even get until later, right? Um, <laughs> so it's really just a ceremony. But the match day is the most, like, what's it going to be? Everything's kind of leading up to this moment. And then it happens and there's all the excitement and, you know, some disappointment for some, some like just super elation for some. Um, so it, it, graduation pales comparison to match day for us. Yeah. And then how many years of radiology specific training will you have? Right. So after oh, my hospital year, four years of residency, and then usually a year of fellowship after that too. It's not required, but some area you're particularly interested in. Yes. And to be employable as a radiologist, most of us get fellowship trained now. Uh, well, so. You're doing this us thing really well. <laughs> my people. Man, that took, what, three days? <laughs> my people. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, l- l- let's move into an in- area of interest for you, and that's the intersection yeah. of the humanities and, and medicine yeah. kind of along that. But I, I want to catch one thing about graduation before we move on. Brendan, okay. one of the things that struck me about my, cause I mean, this is a, a Catholic doctor show, right? Faith and medicine. Yes. One of the things that struck me about my graduation was we said a version of the Hippocratic oath that was so watered oh. down. We couldn't identify it. Cause as you guys know, and probably a lot of our listeners, the original Hippocratic oath talks about you can't do abortions and you can't do assisted suicide. And those were eloquently euphemistically replaced into some, some feel good stuff. Mm -hmm. When I graduated from medical school, I was Mm -hmm. starting to be a little while ago. Now, what was it like for you, especially at going through a Catholic medical school? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, so some things at a Catholic med school, we wouldn't want to say, right? Like I swear by Apollo, um, maybe not, you know, something I, so during our white coat ceremony, I, I remember this actually, this is at the beginning of med school and it, it's just as you watered down is a good way to say it. I think, uh, when we take an oath, I mean, an oath is a strong, really strong word to me. That means something to me, you know, like I'm promising, you know, before God and everyone I love that I'm going to do something. Um, and our tradition has always taken oaths very seriously, but no, I, it's the, the oaths we take is, you know, I kind of swear to do my best and to be nice to everybody and, you know, not, not to be dismissive, but yeah. Was there an oath at your graduation? So interest. So graduation for me was actually, it was Sunday morning. Uh, so I couldn't attend cause I was at mass. Um, but it was Sunday morning at, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I, you know, and we, we had for COVID, it was restricted seating and my whole, I couldn't even, <laughs> actually, uh, I couldn't bring my family, my immediate family. Cause we would have ran out of tickets. Uh, it's 
kind of like actually in in recent spirit it's kind of like the nfl draft you know where like some Mm -hmm. people go down there and sit in the bleachers but a lot of people are at home they just get the call and i feel like (laughs) you were one of those guys hanging out at church (laughs) just kind of waiting for the call you know it's coming you know (laughs) hey you did it thanks okay bye Well, that was a good segue into medicine and the humanities, Andrew, yeah. a very practical one that I miss. I mean, I, I was never asked at any point in my training to take an oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the watered down one. And now there are some guilds of the Catholic Medical Association that get med students together and actually have a Hippocratic oath banquet, mm-hmm. which I, I think is a, a good idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to swear to something that's meaty. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can reflect on your four years of medical training. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you have some, some kind of big picture view of your fellow medical students. What are some broad brush strokes that you would paint regarding what you have seen regarding the, the newest crop of doctors and those right behind you? Yeah, I, I'd say, well, the first thing I think I would say is that not, so, I mean, medical students aren't so different from everyone else in society, you know? Um, so when it comes to the ails of the culture, we have it in, in med school also, you know, not so different. I think, do you remember, maybe I would sum it up in this. You remember Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat where there's that famous line. If you think it, want it, dream it, then it's real. You are what you feel. And just, the arrogance of that is kind of, it, it's thank breath- you for affirming my decision to never watch that <laughs> it's <laughs> it's breathtaking uh, and but <laughs> I think it's it reveals a lot about our moment my millennial people um, we <laughs> we're I've been really influenced so you know that's kind of a popular kind of reference in more kind of like high level academia references. I've been really influenced by the understanding of our current cultural moment as us being psychological man, where a lot of my med student friends, when asked the question, like, what does it look like for a human to be flourishing? It revolves mm-hmm. entirely on subjective psychological well-being. For example, in an interview I had, I won't say where, but it was at a Catholic institution and I noticed that this, you know, this program was very emphasized strongly physician wellness. I'm okay with wellness too. So I asked, you know, what does a well resident look like to you? And the program director Ooh, said, good question. well, wellness is whatever you make it. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I don't think we understand each other. <laughs> but I think it reveals a lot about the, our current moment with physicians and with graduating med students and relativism has seeped deep, 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 deep. And we are all, I guess, in philosophical language, like very like Rousseau, where the cult, there's this big, bad culture. It's imposing its will on me. It's telling me what I want to be like, but I'm authentic when I am expressing my psychological self, uh, whatever that is. I mean, we see that in the transgender phenomenon, et cetera, et cetera. But um, not to uh, get too far off track, but just to say that graduating med students suffer from a lot of what the culture suffers from, which is we don't know who we are, what we're for, or what ultimately you know human flourishing looks like, uh, which is kind of scary, I think. And on that sad note, we'll take our break between the two segments in the interview and be back to more positive and uplifting (laughs) things here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the newly minted Dr. Brendan Radican, future radiologist extraordinaire today, guest on Dr. Doctor. And uh, talking about all things fourth year and graduation and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and we would be, you know, amiss to not talk about COVID, which has Mm -hmm. impacted everybody in it caught me how much you said you weren't even able to visit, you know, the mm-hmm. places in person where you actually matched into. Mm-hmm. Tell us how the last, you know, year plus of medical school was different because of COVID for you. Yeah. Uh, so um, last time we talked, we were just kind of right in the new wave of it, right? And it just kind of first hit. Uh, we So 
the the biggest thing to say, I think, is the end of my third year, so April, May, and June of that year, were online rotations, which is for it's like is doing that like a YouTube. Uh, <laughs> like fast forward to five thirty two. I I forget that part of the surgery. <laughs> so, which is like in ACLS training, for example, you know, they have a simulated hands-on training. That's a contradiction in terms, you know, you're not. <laughs> so you know, online, that was hard. You know, we made the best of it, you know, reading, etc. try to do some public health stuff. Um, but starting in July, I was back in the hospitals and I've been in the hospitals since. And my, my rotations haven't really been super altered since July. I mean, we're doing the mask thing, but it seems like at that point, they, they realize that we're not extending education for these people and we're graduating these people as physicians and they need to start learning something. Uh, so we, I got kicked into high gear and I, it, you know, my rotations looked very similar to what they were previously. Um, I, I wasn't limited from going, you know, doing things or not going into certain places, et cetera. Um, but you, you commented an analogy, fourth year medical student, like being on a big brother's date. Do you want to expand on that? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I could relate to that. Very scientific, I would say. Um, <laughs> I hate shadowing. I mean, I just can't say enough about how much I hate it. Uh, and when you're watching <laughs> someone else do medicine, that's just for me, I, I'm not, I just don't get very much out of that experience, you know. So it's like watching paint dry. <laughs> like, you can take the most interesting things in the world and make it boring when I'm sitting here watching it. You know, surgery. But if you're in surgery, you take it to a new level because your arm, your muscles are fatiguing <laughs> while you're being bored. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting I think there. the same way during fourth year. I say, "Gee whiz, let me at it." You know, I'm just standing there. Just don't contaminate anything. Just don't contaminate anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. So having a backseat during hands-on medical training is not what I thought would happen at all. You know, uh, you know, delivering a baby, for example, like, oh, you know, just watch them. It's just not the same. There's just, there's so much to learn experientially, physically doing, you know, procedures for obviously, but then, did you get to catch any babies? Deliver any babies? Yes, I did. I caught a baby. I've checked a lot of things off my bucket list. Fourth year, you know, caught a baby, intubated, got arterial access, sutured, all of that. Um, so procedures and stuff, I, I really liked. <laughs> Not virtually suturing, you know. <laughs> uh, but I think. But, but besides procedures and surgeries, um, it can be really frustrating just not feeling like you're the manager of, a, a, you know, a, a sick patient, for example, in the hospital. To just kind of have a backseat in that setting is is really hard to, you know, um, not being the one to ask the questions. You know, I'm not thinking what they're thinking in a patient encounter. It's just a challenging learning experience. So I'm thinking my fourth year of medical school, mm-hmm. uh, like my medicine sub-internship yes. might happen to be infectious disease, which yeah. was actually a blast for me. Yeah. But as a medical student, I would get first, you know, first call on a patient and I would have to go do the, the entire workup myself and then present it. Are you telling me you did not get to do that? No. So I did that, but that was only one month of my fourth year. Ah. And let me let me say this. I'm kind of Italian melodramatic sometimes, right? Um, the different physicians, <laughs> different attendings are are different have different skills when it comes to teaching. Some are really good at ah. it, and I, you know, learned a ton that month, and it was a great experience. And some are just like, oh, just kind of watch me and learn by osmosis, and that's just ineffective, you know. So my sub internship month was a great month for me. It was just traditional hospital medicine, uh, very you know, I was in charge. I carried my patient's pager, the pager for my patient, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I learned so much that month. I think one thing we run into, my experience different from yours, especially Dr. McGovern, is specialists, um, where often kind of we feel like our hands are tied in a certain situation in a hospital because we have to consult or refer or, or you know, there's so many different physicians with different pieces of this uh, patient management. Yes. It's hard to learn in that setting and, and, too. And how do you think that's different? Because 
Yeah. Back in 1985, when I started medical school, I wanted to be a family physician because I thought they could do everything. Yes. Well, I soon found out that wasn't true back then. It's even yeah. less true now. How do you think yeah. that this growing subspecialization in medicine is influencing medical training? Yeah. Well, Dr. Malali, do you think family doctors can do everything? Well, you know, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but every family doctor wants to think they can do everything. But whether you can or should, there's prudence there, yeah, you know, right. and uh, really you can't and you shouldn't if truly what you want is the best outcome for the patient. Mm -hmm. And, you know, may, maybe I did a virtual rotation on brain surgery and I can like pull up the YouTube. <laughs> Uh, but if somebody does five of these a day, I want you to go to the guy who does it really well. So there's, yeah. there's a natural role for specialization, especially depending on where you practice. I mean, we had Tom Katina on here out in the Sudan, he's doing brain surgery, but I, I don't know a lot of other people who are. So I think the but he spent years training in, with surgeons in Tanzania and Kenya. That's right. There. Mm -hmm. Not just his family practice residency. That's right. Otherwise, everybody would love that training. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe like a couple of good examples to drive this point about specialization and medical education. Sure. So like, for example, sitting in the cardiology electrophysiology suite, looking at a, you know, oh. atrial fibrillation ablation procedure. I know it's so many listeners. What is that? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I got to yeah. tell you, I don't think I know much more than any other, anyone else. So like, you know, we're looking at this big screen and I'm, you know, there's just colors to me, you know, it's just different colors and I have no idea what's happening, but the medical technology <laughs> has advanced. So if I'm sitting there with the electrophysiologist, where's he going to begin explaining to me? what this thing is, you know? So I, I can appreciate the challenge that a super specialist has in explaining what's happening to a med student. Um, but we can also appreciate how like, well, that's not a good learning experience then either. You know, specialization has negatively impacted medical education in that sense. You know, another example that comes to mind is, you know, like, oh, well, we're doing a hospital month. I'm, you know, Mr. Gung-Ho, Wild West, I can do anything, you know, right? And, um, and, and this patient's got bac bacteria in the blood. And I'm thinking like, oh, well, we cultured this thing. We know what it's sensitive to. We can prescribe this antibiotic. And I'm thinking I'm doing something really great for everybody. And the hospitalist is like, yeah, that might be true. But because this patient has bacteria in their blood, we want an infectious disease consult. Like, oh, okay. Oh, you're kidding. But so you can, you can, we can feel how, and I don't want to be dramatic, but sometimes it feels like we give cardiology consults to anyone who has a heart and that's what it kind of feels like sometimes. <laughs> um, but that, again, that can limit medical education in that sense too. You know, um, not being able to really like extend yourself through the whole spectrum of medicine. Yeah. That, that played a big role, not to diverge too much, but in family medicine training, we were always looking for programs where there are no specialists. It was only family yeah. medicine yeah. because otherwise, yeah, you get into one of these big programs and it's like, yeah. have heart, consult cards, you know, right. that's not my, my area. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you made it out the other side though. And it sounds like there were some months that were really good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some months m were great experiences, others less so. Yeah. So D-O. What, what's, what's a DO? What is that? Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a great question. Uh, we get asked a lot, you know, what's, what's, a, what's a DO degree? How, does that, how is that different from the MD degree? Both, uh, both licenses are given to physicians who are you know, licensed to practice medicine. Um, the, the difference is largely historical now, um, more ph ph philosophical, you know, 19th century osteopathy was much different from 19th century allopathic medicine, if we can call MDs that, um, the, the, the differences have, have very much converged now. The DO philosophy is much more holistic care, care for the whole patient, um, not treating isolated organ systems. But I mean, ho hopefully MDs aren't being taught. No, we, we isolate organ systems when we treat, you know, so there, <laughs> yes. there's a lot of convergence. Only happening. the kidney. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I think one dis remaining distinctive feature um, is uh, DOs are trained to do manual medicine, both manual diagnostic medicine and uh, 
therapeutic osteopathic manipulative treatment, it's called. Um, some of that is more mainstream than others. Uh, you know, some of those techniques are more mainstream and are just like a physical therapy technique, for example. Um, others mm -hmm. remain very DO distinctive and not mainstream medicine, as it were. Um, I, I don't see myself doing really any osteopathic manipulative treatment in the future, um, except for like my wife's, you know, back pain or something. Uh, but in, in medicine, <laughs> I don't see myself doing that. Um, that's why she let you go to med school. <laughs> no, I guess one <laughs> other, one other important big area of convergence is there's only one residency accrediting body now. So the yes. MD accrediting body for residencies, the ACGME accredits all MD and DO. Well, all MD or DO resident education. So if a DO goes to a residency program, it's an ACGME accredited program. So there's no longer DO specific or DO only residencies. There um, used to be separate matches. And there used to be separate, separate matches. And I mean, for me, even less of a difference. You know, I took all the MD exams, um, standardized exams. So I, I feel very much like I've had a similar education to, to an MD. So one of the things that uh, people they they see in televisions played up a lot are yeah. the attending doctors always being real mean to oh, yeah. residents <laughs> and med students, grilling oh, them yeah. and trying to make them feel stupid. Yes. Um, did that happen to you? Is that real? <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes physicians have egos, believe it or not. I mean, I know you two could hardly believe that. Uh, but, um, so sometimes, you know, this doctor is not trying to teach me something. He just wants to, you know, put me in my place or something like that. And whatever. I mean, whatever. I was in the army, you know, try to scare me, please. Um, so, but I think for, for the most part, all of my physician encounters are very, uh, very cordial and pleasant. Uh, Honestly, I think in this pendulum swing of student education, I think we're seeing more attendings, at least in my rotations, using different teaching techniques less often, or they're more cautious with their interactions with med students. And to me, that's a learning deficit. You know, that's just, you know, they, he was afraid to embarrass me or something. Well, that's I, now I don't get the opportunity to learn this thing that you were trying to teach me. Um, we, I know we kind of caution away from the word pimping, it has a very bad connotation in medicine in some circles. But really, it's just the practice of an attending physician teaching by asking questions. So, okay, Brendan, what are the you know top 10 reasons to find blood on a head CT? Well, that's an example of pimping, right? Like you're, uh, he's trying to elicit... It's like it's, grouchy Socrates, <laughs> right? <laughs> Get that guy coffee. I've read enough of the dialogues to know they're usually nicer, <laughs> these interactions. No, but, um, but yeah, it's very, uh, so I, you know, I list three, for example. Oh, fourth one. Oh, no, that's not in the top 10. Think of this instead. And that's pimping where, you know, you, the physician asks a question to the med student who tries to answer it. And when he can't answer it, he gets told to look it up and bring it back or gets told the right answer or whatever. So it's, it's learning by questions. And I think a lot of physicians had such a bad experience with that themselves in med school, where it was very malicious or something, that they're afraid to do stuff like that. Um, and, but I think, like I said, the pendulum swing, you know, where like initially way too much question asking, malicious kind of posturing. But now we're on the other side. We're like, well, now we're just kind of like in the same place and you're afraid to teach me almost, you know. Um, so th that's what I would say about that, you know. Okay, Brendan, we've got three minutes yeah. left. I want to cover a couple things. One of the things is older physicians tend to have this view that younger physicians yeah. want to be coddled and not very motivated. You have some definite thoughts on this. What are they? Briefly, I would say a lot of my friends don't believe in the American dream, and they shouldn't. I mean, this whole idea of like, I want to kind of work as hard as I can, make as much as I can, and have the biggest boat I can. We, we Millennials don't think like that. And that's good. I don't think they should either. You know, that's kind of a 20th century American materialist thing. Um, sure. 
But on the other it's kind hand, kind of a boomer I, thing they'd say. No, <laughs> on the other hand, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, we're raised in a, you know, wear your helmet, use your hand sanitizer, you know, never ride a motorcycle, <laughs> don't smoke your pipe, all kinds of like safety is kind of this. It's my world now, you know. So millennials tend to be kind of less risk takers we're seeing, right, et cetera. So I, I think the perception is right in some circumstances. Millennials kind of are a little bit maybe faint hearted, but wrong in other circumstances where, you know, no, I don't, I want a contract that doesn't force me to work 80 hours a week. I'm not being a baby. You know, this is what man is not for that. Uh, so, you know, pros and cons. I was just going to say, what advice do you have for anybody listening who's considering going into medicine, high school students, college students? Yeah, I, I'd say try it out. I mean, I one of my f- most formative experiences was being an EMT. I, I, I think that was really helpful. You know, try on these things where you kind of get insight into the whole physician-patient thing, you know, applying science to the good of a person. Um so I'd say try that out if you're you know, in college, take the pre-med classes, et cetera. I, I would caution, though, I mean, there are a lot of, I think a lot of broken hearts, even with people who get admitted to med school, not really having fully thought that I'm in this now for at least seven years of training. You know, I think particularly I have a lot of friends, especially, you know, Catholic women who are, you know, are now in med school and, you know, ask the question, when are you going to have children? They're like, and they just kind of haven't thought about it. Well, I mean, it's time to think about that before you start a seven-year commitment, as it were, you know, at the minimum. So that's what I would say to, you know, try it on, see if it's for you. Ultimately, I guess briefly, it's wherever God calls. So uh, there is no, don't come to medicine against God. It will never work out for you. We have enough biblical examples of that. Brendan, would you do it again if you had to do it over again? I would do it again. I would. I, you know, it, it was, it's a fun ride and I would do it again. I, I'm not as enthusiastic as some, but yes. Brendan Radican, it's been a pleasure having you back. Maybe we'll even check in at the end of internship year. God bless you. Best of all. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question, which Tom, you, you picked a good one this week. Well, thank you. Even a pig finds an acorn in a haystack once in a while. <laughs> so the, the, the question the question was, what percentage of students at the end of medical school choose the same specialty they were considering before they entered? And the percentage was no surprise to our guest, Brendan, and probably not to me either. And that percentage is 26%, about one in four. Did that surprise you, Andrew? You know, not really. I, I think... Some people definitely come with an idea ahead of time. And uh, one in four, I think that's about right. That makes sense. And then Brendan was totally not surprised at the specialty with the greatest concordance. That is 49% or about half of this specialty, the people who chose at the beginning of medical school chose it at the end. And it was orthopedic surgeons. And, And Brendan said offline, he said, Orthopedic surgeons don't go to medical school to become doctors. They go to medical school to become orthopedic surgeons. They're really focused. (laughs) That's true. Um, And, and, you know, behind them at 39 and 38% were those who chose pediatrics and neurosurgery, two specialties that have just so much in common. You know, I I think those top three, they're all very strong flavors in medicine because there Mm. are some things that have more overlap between procedures and surgery and, and, you know, medical care and stuff, but those ones all very strong flavor. So probably more concordance there. And the least concordance, vascular surgery, 8%, urology, 9%, anesthesia at 11 and radiology at 12. So fascinating stuff. Anyway, you have our top three takeaways for this episode. So go for it, Andrew. Yeah, you know, I I always love talking to Brennan. He's he's got a lot of life experience and now mm-hmm. he, he finished med school too. So I guess the the first thing that I take away is he he did say he'd do it again. There's always kind of caveats looking back, like, man, it's actually a lot of work. There's some real sacrifices that you might not end up knowing that you need to make until you're in the middle of it and you can't turn back. Um, but I'd say it's it is worth doing for people who are interested in medicine. Uh, number two is he he gave some very good advice also to people to try it on. 
you know, he, he worked as an EMT, I think he said, um, yes. but any amount of shadowing or experience with people who are practicing physicians that gives a whole world of enlightenment, especially when you're going to sign up to a pretty much, you can't turn back for the next seven <laughs> to 10 years of your life, that type of thing. And then, you know, number three, I'd say off offline, we were talking about the nature of medicine as a vocation, um, in the proper setting behind our vocation to, to holiness and our state in life, whether it be married, single or, or holy orders, you know, religious life. Um, but looking at as at medicine, one of the things that I've always tried to do is look at medicine as an opportunity for holiness. And, you know, we, we get every day to practice corporal works of mercy, which is such yes. a blessing. And I will take the extra experience because I need it <laughs> and I enjoy it. And we just got to be mindful to, be grateful for that, but also to, to offer it up and really try and see Christ in our patients. So Brendan's going to do a great job. And on that note, thanks for being with us to listen to the end of Brendan's medical school story here on Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. We invite you to share the good news of Dr. Doctor with friends, invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app if they can't get it on the radio. And be sure to rate and review our show to help new listeners find us. You can also find all of our old episodes. We've done a lot of them at this point on drdoctor.org. If you've got a topic you're interested in, we've probably covered it. But also be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.